welcome to From the Library with Love, a podcast for anyone whose life has been changed by reading. Letter writing is a dying art, but fortunately there are some wonderfully creative souls around resurrecting old love letters and breathing life into them. One of them is Liz Maguire, the love letter collector, originally from Washington DC and now living in Dublin. From her first acquisition as a teenager of a set of vintage love letters from a flea market, Liz now holds a collection of over 1,600 letters. She told me that letters capture the essence of what it is to be living through history. In attics and drawers and shoeboxes under beds, there are hundreds of stories waiting to be told. Here we delve into her unique archive. As I get older, you look back on things and you think like, wow, I was really into that series of books when I was a kid, or I was really into this, that, or the other. Um, it, t- it took me a very long time to make the connection between the fact that my favorite film as a teenager was The Notebook. Like I was obsessed with The Notebook. It was like oh, yeah. oh. 40, 40 viewings, director's commentary, like the whole thing. And then it was, it was like, uh, the archive has been around for five years and I would say it was probably in two or three years and I was like that probably means something (laughs) (laughs) and I was obsessed with a film which the root of was lost letters (laughs) yeah there's a there's a clue there (laughs) talking of which I thought of you yesterday because quite by chance I've put on Netflix and I just thought I really need something completely mind-numbing um and I came across letters from Juliet it's quite (laughs) cheesy but actually you know, once you surrender to it, it was quite nice, actually. It was like that woman who tracked down. Have you seen it? It's a little brain massage, isn't it? You're just yeah, there, like, yeah. Oh. It was just like slipping into a hot bath. I wasn't too taxing, but it, you know, a woman reuniting an, an older woman with a letter that she wrote to her che- teenage sweetheart in in, yeah. in beautiful Tuscany. It's perfect. I think you'd love it. Yeah, it's it's so it's funny you mentioned that because there's. Um, have you ever heard of the organization, the Handwritten Letter Association? No, I have not. So it's run by a woman named Dinah Johnson, um, who you'll probably love to. Everyone who gets introduced to the Handwritten Letter Appreciation Society becomes just obsessed. I mean, that's um, but Dinah, title in itself, isn't it? The Handwritten <laughs> Appreciation Society. The, hand, the Handwritten Letter Act, yeah. yeah. Um, she, last year, I don't think she's done one yet this year, but she did a few movie nights last year. And one of them was, uh, and by movie nights, I mean, she kind of picked a night, did a theme, posted some pictures about it and said like, you know, oh, everyone around the world who wants to watch this, will watch it at 7.30 on Saturday. And Letters to Juliet was one, Guernsey Potato Peel Society was another. Oh, I love um, 84 Charing Cross Road was one. Last Letter from Your Lover was the was another oh, one that she did. Okay, okay, I haven't heard of that one. Um, Guernsey Literary Potato Peel Pie, now that I love loved the book amazing loved the film probably preferred amazing. the book did you like it? oh yeah the definition of an epistolary novel yeah. whenever anyone says you know I want I, I you and I got connected for your book and through kind of what I like to read and uh, whenever I I do monthly blog posts uh reviews of books about letters and I find myself hallmarking against Guernsey every did single you? month where I kind of, you know, one of the questions I ask is, is this a book about letters? Because I ask, is it a book about letters or is it a book that uses letters? Both of them are yeah. valuable and have different aspects to them. But in my definition, a book about letters is yeah. <laughs> And it's funny because traditionally those books don't do well. Like agents and, author and, and editors will always try to dissuade authors from writing in that format because it's, they say it's harder for the reader to connect. 
but I don't but like anything I think it just depends on the quality of the writing and, and it Agreed. worked so well because the writing was so beautiful and the characters were so you know incredibly well, well drawn the letters were actually a perfect foil for it but traditionally yeah they're like oh don't write like that because it's really off-putting it's harder to connect and but I think that's doing readers a disservice because I think if it's amazing writing readers will connect with it whatever okay they'll find whatever form it's in but I I it's interesting you say that because one of the things that I often find when I read books about letters is there's a very clear delineation about books that have letters in them and then books that use letters as I have a degree in English so I get into this but books that have letters as a tool of exposition and I think when you have letters as a tool of exposition that become plot heavy you're kind of sitting there and you're like Jesus this is 18 pages of them describing a beach and you're sort of like no one would do that long of you know meaningful there are sometimes when I read books like because I do so much work with you know manual physical real letters where I'll be like listen I've read thousands of letters nobody's putting in that that specific level of detail <laughs> yeah and do you know what I guess because you study letters and you see them daily you know often I think it's, it's writing letters in novels is one of the hardest things to make it sound authentic and real because most people write what they think a letter writer does when in reality this is so up my alley <laughs> yeah I thought I find it absolutely fascinating I've, I've just put out from the bookshop as you were doing that this is one of my favorite books letters to the lost by Iona Gray. Have you heard of her? I've on my TBR. Oh, Iona Gray is without doubt one of my most favourite writers, Irish lady, and she's just the most beautiful writer. The way she describes things, her prose, and she uses a lot of letters, but so naturally in this book. And oh, I would really read it. I you'll just fly through. Yeah, okay, I'll, I'll move it up. I'll move it move up. Move it up, move it up. Shuttle it up the pile. This is big. February spot of Flea Market Love Letters book about letters. Is yeah. A, is a big spot. There's a lot of letter talk. <laughs> There's a lot of letter talk going on here. I feel like you have a novel in you. or a, Yeah, I feel like you do. I feel like you, you've studied it. Are you tempted? Yeah, I've, I've played with it before. I've thought, um, I've thought before about doing a nonfiction. Uh, so the kind of interesting, yes, I would like to write, but the depth of the archive, um, I held back a lot of times because I wasn't really sure the legal of everything. This is a question yeah. a lot of people sometimes have. How does it work? Um, I've been advised by third parties, and one of them was a third party that was very reputable from a partnership that I did. And they basically explained that because the letters are acquired um, through a third person, I am sort of like, I'm, I'm free to publish them as I do. And what I do is because I don't make any profit off of the project, I just put yeah. that everywhere on the site. Mm -hmm. And um, I also am very transparent about the fact that if someone, you know, went on and saw personal letters of their grandmothers and they were like, oi, <laughs> what's the deal? Yeah. Uh, first off, can I have those back? And can you take them off the internet? I would. Of course you would do um, well, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. the the there there is there are stories and I would love to do something along a nonfiction line, I think, with flea market mm. in the next few years. Um, but just when you get to that level, then it becomes um, yeah. you have to track down the families and all I that hear that, stuff. yeah. And that's a whole world of, you know, lost sleep and hard graft that maybe, you know, might you might want to consider doing the life. But you know what I love about it though, and I think there's a real gap in the market of this, is there are a lot of non-fiction books. I think there was one recently by a historian Sebastian I can't remember, it's very highbrow, letters, you know, important letters in history. And it's always, always from men, you know, political leaders and 
you know, warlords and very important upper class white men writing yeah. important upper class white male letters. There's nothing in, you know, in the normal social history, the hidden letters, you know, the women, the men, just writing about mundane stuff, you know, reacting Absolutely. to it as it unfolds. And I always think like history when viewed through their eyes is so much more personal and intense and poignant than all of these sort of very important people writing about sort of hallmarks of history. And I don't, oh, I, mean, I, mean, like, I don't think there's been anything like that that documents those sorts of letters. The, I think the thing about that you've hit on with, with sort of important people in air quotes, writing letters, or who do we deem important is these are the, these are the people who are studied and who, you know, were around the tables when D-Day was called and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. And, but they weren't, you know, there's, there's a perspective of being in the trenches. There's a perspective of being called up for service. There's a perspective of being the wife at home while this yeah. is happening. And I think there are, there is a gap in that narrative because, you know, talking about the American and the UK and the Irish side of things, the Americans are the most, I don't want to say okay with the letters, but Americans are usually like, most of my letters are American because they're easiest to find. Americans are usually pretty proactive about engaging with the letters. And I have a lot of, you know, Irish readers or or even readers in the UK who would be kind of like, "It's, it's very personal. It's very personal things. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I see what you're saying. Like, yeah, and so like I think there's real interesting studies and in the differences of those. But absolutely, I mean, anytime I get my hands on letters that are real perspectives, I'm I gobble them up. Yeah, <laughs> I think it'd be so fascinating. I'd lo- I would love to read that book. I really would. <laughs> I just yeah, and you'd be such a perfect author, such a great advocate for that kind of letter as well. <laughs> oh, thank you, thank you. I, uh, I, 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 if I could fit a day between yeah. you know Monday and Sunday, that's when I do it. <laughs> So let's um, so let's start this with your oldest letter because that's what I'm really intrigued by. What's the date on that letter? Kind of the oldest one would be 1876. I don't have it to hand, but what I do remember about it is that it is um, just the penmanship of it. The you know they say handwriting is something that we're forgetting. That's very fair when you see this letter. <laughs> really, really, is it? That yeah. The, 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 I mean, the script is just one thing, an, an art piece on its own. You can understand why people study wow. antique handwriting. Um, and the kind of really interesting thing for me is uh, that it is one, it's 100 years out from U.S. independence. Wow. So uh, when you think about kind of being able to hold, you know, in 2020, I was holding letters from 1918. And that was wild to be like, oh, it's 102 years old. But then when I, when I'm able to hold a letter from 1876, the perspective changes and I think this is a hundred years from 1776 which is obviously a big hallmark for yeah. American kids in American history so um it's just that letter is particularly it's the oldest I have in the archive and it's the closest I think to a really big moment yeah and it's something so fragile as well isn't it a piece of paper is so easily dispensed with and yet it's survived all that time I think through the history it's lived through is astonishing that's what I love about yeah. The, the wide scope of the age of those letters where did you find it uh so a lot of those kind of oldest letters came from flea markets on the east coast i the first collection of letters i had are from the 1920s and they uh, i got those about 10 years ago mm-hmm. and letters after that were purchased kind of individually and sporadically so i had one big collection and then i would be out and i would see a couple letters and i'd get those but it was only sort of when the archive started officially in 2017 that I started buying series as wholes. 
So a, a series um, is oftentimes, when I say series, I mean, it's one sort of story. It could be five letters or it could be 55. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's kind of how I frame things as a series. Okay, I'm with you. And so in this 1876 letter, who's it who's writing it? Do, you, do we know and what's he or she writing about? Yeah, so it's um, mostly about farm details. So oh. yeah, it's it's very simple. It's, you know, it's as much as kind of what you might see today. You might throw out your receipt from Tesco and just be like, oh. what is, uh, I don't need this. But, you know, in 1876, they hand wrote everything. So we have these incredible records of farm accounts and all the sort of individual prices for things and that sort of stuff. So it's it's a really it's a time capsule is what it is yeah yeah that's exactly what it is and I love the fact that you know even mundane stuff that it's documenting just the day-to-day stuff of life is written in that beautiful cursive script and it's like you know so beautifully presented whereas something we have lost that so completely haven't we absolutely absolutely so that's your 1876 and then we're coming up to so then we kind of thought didn't we the 1920s and I think, let me just bring up your original. Which one had you suggested for the 1920s? Was it the Stocker the, family? Yeah. Yeah. Tell me about them then. Tell me about these letters. They're fun because those are an American family um, that in the 1920s, it was a mother, son, and husband who, father, who um, went on a European tour. Oh, so, yeah. Yeah. So this is, so this is right kind of between everything I love the 1920s and the 1930s I think they're they're such interesting complex they are they're strange because anything interwar years is interesting though isn't it yeah oh uh, we're you and I would absolutely get along we could be here for four hours oh my god just as well we haven't got time between I wish we did have a bottle of wine and I was in Dublin having a drink with you talking because we've been there all night (laughs) we've been there all night oh those women are still talking about (laughs) um but but uh but yeah so the what were we on we were on you're saying how it's sort of underrated the 1920s and 30s because everybody gets world war one and world war two and it's sandwiched in between it's sort of like the forgotten you know yeah sort of the ugly sister at the wedding isn't it but it's really really a very good way of putting it interesting complex time of history it was turbulent wasn't it i think especially here in in this country with like you know you think the abdication crisis and the hunger marches on the streets and yeah you know and we, a lot of a lot of the so in that collection in that in that collection that I've highlighted and all that is in there the photographs and the letters and scans and anything and that's all free games kind of if there's anything you pull of interest um the thing that's interesting about that is that they included they have photographs and on this tour they went to you know I think they started in New York and they kind of take I think they take a white star um through Ooh. to yeah so they take a white star in the 1920s um that's pretty cool at white star paper white star stationery <laughs> oh yeah hello just a bit as a, as a history nerd i'm like Whoa. i thought they pretty much went bankrupt after titanic but i'm guessing obviously not well they got to lusitania they survived the lusitania <laughs> wow okay they did clearly so but yeah so any anyway, so Lots of tangents here, sorry. Um, but the photographs that they have are really interesting, kind of if you're thinking about Europe in that time of year or in that time of history. Um, they have a lot of pictures of France because they go around France and they go around the Netherlands. And obviously this is 
less than five, six, seven years after World War II. So there are bayonets and crosses and it's still very much, and World War I is, is referenced a lot in the letters. I mean, you have this family that's gone off on this great European trip and they're, yes, they're talking about what sweaters they brought, but they're also sort of talking about, I think there's one letter where a mayor of a town in the Netherlands comes out and they sort of, you know, there's a bunch of murmurs about how he behaved during the war. And you're just really? kind of like, oh, okay. Oh, really? Well, like as in collaboration or, cause I guess all those things would still be quite rife and quite raw in people's minds, wouldn't it? I mean, the war was like, what, 1920 to, was it 14 to 18? It would only been over two years. In, in, I think that I think the soccer letters are 24 so it's it's six, four, six, it's very close it's very close um and it's that's that thing that I'm talking about the tangibility of history yeah, I mean when you distance, isn't it? it's it's so close and then you're holding these photographs in your hand that are little they're like sized business cards that were printed in 1920 something or other a hundred years ago yeah but they're also talking about world war one that you think is so far away for them four years before yeah. <laughs> I guess if you think of us now we're in 2020 it's like discussing you know four years ago what mm -hmm. it is so close it's just history so for them for the world for world war one and also I guess when you think 1920 the Spanish flu influenza was going around the world at that point wasn't it I mean so they were going through their pandemic at that time do they reference that at all anywhere or is that yeah, so there's there. I think it's the Bushnell letters, and if you if you're interested in that, um, come back to me and I'll, I'll find you a reference to it. Um, it. But they there's definitely references to the flu specifically, uh, and it's sort of it's not like that big Spanish flu epidemic. It's more like, gee, you know, it, a, a lot of my buddies are down with that flu because that would have, from the U.S. perspective, that would have been when a lot of um, the U.S. was involved in World War One. So it would have been when a lot of boys basically were recruited um and they were basically brought to like training camps in texas and california and there was a covid just running around the place and so they were all put into quarantines and there was no sanitation there was no hygiene there was no knowledge of what was going on yeah. so um yeah the, the world war one letters are where you'll most often find reference to a flu and yeah. things like that so so with this give it to the stocker family they um mm -hmm must have been reasonably wealthy I'm guessing to travel the world on White Star at that point you know to, to so, have the affluence and the freedom to do that at that stage. From what I have been able to kind of piece together from the letters it was a gift so it was a gifted trip from her father wow. so I believe her father was in some sort of he was in a professor position somewhere in the midwest of the U.S. and he gifted them this sort of European tour as would have been you're right it was an affluent thing it would but it was very much if you're thinking kind of on the back of the Gilded Age it was very much a thing that certain people of a status did to go on these kind of month-long very organized stop in Switzerland stop in France stop in England sort of yeah <laughs> so what's your favorite letter from that archive of the Stocker family what what detail did you find most interesting about that? I mean, it was, I, I haven't read all of them admittedly, but just some of them, I love the, just the mundanity of it, like what they had for breakfast and, you know, oh, yeah. like how the continental breakfast, you know, and then in England you had porridge and all the rest of it. I really love that detail because it just, you can totally relate to it. And you, you can tell now that you know, kind of maybe that I've said, my understanding is that it was gifted. You can tell it's someone basically writing thank you letters. It's sort of someone who's gone on a thing, who's, 
you know, you've gone on a holiday that someone has, you know, given you a voucher for the hotel for, and you get to the hotel and you're like, the bed was very comfortable, but the next door neighbor snored and we could hear them through the wall, but the breakfast was delicious. And like, <laughs> so like, yes. it's a, it's a, it's a gratitude, but it's a, it's a everyday detail. It's, it's, I love the Southerners, but my, my favorite of them are the ones that are in, I think it's Lucerne. Um, right before COVID, I, I went back uh, with photographs and I took pictures of the photographs from the 1920s against landmarks that are still there. So I took it to the Lucerne Lion and I took it to the bridge that's there and I took pictures of them then and now. And um, that's something fun that I like to do when oh, I can. I love that. I love that. Take them back to yeah. what, what is it about that that you get a thrill from? Like, why, why is it when you put yourself in there fit? footsteps and you're standing in the place that they were or the letter was how does that make you feel oh complete goosebumps uh one of the series that i sent you about the 19 teens about world war one are the jess and best letters um and that's also the first time i ever went back to a place so i went back to the house where those letters were sent and that that and visiting switzerland were the were the two times that i've gone back to a place with a piece and it, it gives you complete goosebumps like you to, to stand on the porch of a house where a letter was delivered a hundred years before that month is really, really eerie, but it's also very full. It's a full circle moment. You're sort of standing there and you just, you have to have, it has, it washes through you. <laughs> yeah, no, I could, I could completely, completely relate to that. Like I, when I was writing the little wartime library and I went down to Bethnal Green and found the spot where the library stood and I'm standing there and it was really quiet for, because it was mid-pandemic. So there was nobody traveling on the underground. So for once I had the chance yeah. to myself and, and, um, and I was imagining what it was like, you know, to, and trying to close my eyes and feeling my way into that thinking, well, that track was boarded over. There was a library there. There was a theater there. Yeah, People would have been singing there. It's really evocative. And I, I totally got that hairs up on the back of your neck. Standing in the place where history, where, where for you, you feel that connection to that place is like, is spine tingling, isn't it? Yeah. And I think maybe you'll relate to this as well. It's not personal history for me. Like it isn't yeah, my grand, it isn't my grandmother's letters. It isn't something it's, it's a, it's a complete, it's, but I think it does kind of matter because there's, there are people who come to at least what flea market does and they'll, they love it. Right. And they get really into a store, a story, they get into a series of letters, but then they'll say things like, and they'll be like, Oh, but you know, I have my grandmother's letters, but I wouldn't do this with them. And I'm like, no, you wouldn't do this with them. But your grandmother's story is as much, you know, it's not the same as this person's that you just really enjoyed. But I think there's a difference when it's a story that you identify with as a family versus as a, as a collector or as someone who's come upon it. And one of the privileges I have is that because I'm not related to any of these people, I come into things completely blank. So I start a, I start a letter series and I start a letter with letter one, yeah, letter one and we go and yeah. it, it can be stressful because there are things in these letters that are not nice. There are allusions to things. There are words and slurs and all sorts of stuff. And it kind of, every time you open a letter, you got to be ready for, okay, this is 1942. Where am I going? <laughs> yeah. 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 I love Yeah. I completely understand. And actually maybe you're right. Maybe the fact that you're not personally related you're you coming to it as a clean slate almost means you're in a stronger position I suppose to uncover the past I, I don't know I don't know 
but I do know that it's different relationships mm. if it's an inherited letter versus a collected or, or a found or acquired. I just, I just think that there is there. I mean, I have, I, I always say that everyone has a letter story and that's why I do flea market. And I have my own family letter story that I don't talk about because that's our family letter story. But at the same time, that's a very personal thing for me, but I'm going around being like, you know, read this letter from 1925. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I, I, I have a very complex personal relationship with it, but the thing is just being, you know, if you feel an empathetic connection with something, you can, you can really go miles with it. We'll be back after a quick break. Do you ever wish you could sit in on a conversation with some of your favorite authors and listen to them talk about their writing process, their path to publication, and of course, their newest novels. Hi, I'm Marissa Meyer, best-selling author of The Lunar Chronicles, and I would love for you to check out the Happy Writer podcast, where every week I talk with other writers about books, craft, inspiration, and how to bring a little more joy into our lives. The Happy Writer is available wherever you get your podcasts, or find us on Instagram, at Happy Writer Podcast. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And I don't think you have to have, you know, quite often people will say to me, why do you write about the East End when you're not from the East End? Well, I don't think that matters. You have, if you have the connect, the connection and that is the key yeah. is empathy for it. Yeah. And sometimes the love for it as well. You develop a real, so, cause that's what I'm going to say next. I do ask next is what, who, who have you come across in your letter travels that you've really, mm-hmm. A, like really made you laugh or you really liked and you thought, oh, I'd love to know that person. And then B, maybe like someone who you just thought, oh, you're annoying or frustrating or you're not particularly nice, you know, because you don't, just because something's in the past, we don't have to glamorize it, romanticize it. You know, there are annoying, pedantic, irritating people throughout history. But going back to the, to the people that you really like or you related to, who are those? What, what- I, I love I love this question. Um, so the, the, the most recent series that comes to mind are the Roth letters. So they're from the 1930s. They're Kay and Nelda Roth. They're from Pennsylvania. Um, they're a, a, an older couple, older being, you know, in the 1930s, they're in their th- mid thirties, I think. Um, they don't have kids. She's hospitalized for some X, Y, Z reason that's not known to us, but um, they exchange letters while she's in the hospital and, and he visits her on the weekends, but they exchange letters during the week. And some of those letters, oh my gosh, we hit a spate with those letters where it was just every time I opened them, they were funny, they were romantic, they were, you know, oh, oh, okay. And then you'd type it up and you'd be like, they're going to love you this week, Kay. And you'd be doing uh. it that way. But it was so refreshing because it almost immediately followed with a few gaps in between a series that I kind of had to convince myself to keep doing because. It, it was that uncomfortable relationship with the person. Like I'm, I'm not going to get on with every individual that writes these letters. So coming off of the back of kind of every week having to be like, here you go. <laughs> <laughs> and to, to sort of like full on fall into this thing with Kay and Nelda and how sweet they were. And I was like, okay, here you go. This is good. This is good. We like this. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. So with, with them, the Roth cover, what, what, what sort of phrases or, or lines stood out to you that you really thought, oh, you know, nobody, nobody A talks like that anymore or that, that really, you know, sort of demonstrated the romanticism or the, the really beautiful use of language that people had yeah. and were able to write back then. How did they, 
you know, rather than like now, if I was in hospital and texting my, I'd just text my husband. We wouldn't, you know, we wouldn't go into the nitty gritty. But what were these letters revealing that when when she was in hospital and he was at home? She wasn't, like I said, she was in hospital for some undisclosed reason. Um, and I wasn't able, I was never really able to parse what it was, but it seemed to be something associated with fatigue. And uh, she mentions a lot that uh, as she's in the sort of recovery or in the hospital, you know, a lot of her clothes are fitting better, her clothes are filling out. So I imagine, you know, she mentions fatigue and her diet and things like that. So I sort of picture her as maybe, you know, there was a, uh, there was probably a lot going on that we don't know, but she might have been depressed or there could have been any number of things yeah. um, that would have sort of taken a toll physically. So she's obviously gone in for whatever treatments it is. Um, but she's so funny. She talks about sort of like, uh, oh, I'm going to have to let out that yellow dress now because I've gotten so big in here. And it's like, it's 1940s big. So it's like <laughs> the size two. Size, yeah. <laughs> you're sitting there and you're like, oh, no, Nelda. <laughs> like, so that, that would be a, like an of, of a time thing, but kind of the tenderness between them is they just have this really sweet way uh, Kay especially has this really sweet way of even not being Melda. I can read the letters and I can feel Kay there because he's sort of like, he's updating her. They're building a house and he's updating her about the house. So he's saying, you know, this, I've done this, that, and the other. And then her next letter might be, oh, well, did you paint the banisters black or gray and all that sort of thing. So it is very much sort of what you or I might text a partner or a husband yeah. in print and all at once. So it is very much those mundane things, but it's just told differently than on a screen. Yeah, yeah, I can, I can see that. And then going into the ones where you said, but then you followed that up with ones that were, oh, quite difficult, a sticky to read. Does that relate yeah. to the, the ones from the 1940s where you were talking about the British war bride and the GI and her trying to find passage to America? They're from the 1940s. So that series, Sandy and Harry are the first letters um, that I ever did. Okay. So they are um the the sort of first they started flea market really um kind of when they when i decided to start post first i started posting pictures of the envelopes and then i realized that people really wanted to see the letters that were inside and then they start then that's when i was like oh people want to see the letters not just the physical letter but so sandy and harry are separate from the the other story before were the randano letters so the randano letters were it's they took basically a year there was like 170. They were all to this guy named Ralph Randano. Wow. And I think what I bristled the most about that was they were a lot of male perspective during World War II. And I think people come into flea market thinking that it's all very romantic, but there was also a very real side to it. And it was very guys talking to guys in a way that a, a woman in 2021 or 2022 might not like to read <laughs> okay so was it between two men or was it these yeah ah okay oh how interesting so what were yes. they what what bristled you what were they saying that that made you mostly the way they mo I mean they, I, I can't speak for them because they're 70 years old letters 100 years old in some cases but uh, just kind of, you know, the way they'd go back and forth about girls they were seeing. There was one instance where I actually, I very rarely exclude things from letters, but there was one instance where uh, someone wrote to someone else with very specific details of how to find the house of a very friendly lady. Oh, really? And I, and I was like, I'm going to stand up for her and I'm not going to put this in there. 
that's horrible but you know why wouldn't it happen in the 19th of course it would have happened then like it has throughout history why why yeah that's the but that's the thing and that's what flea market kind of forces me to do on the daily and what i try and get people to interrogate is that history is not all of these there are these great fluffy love stories but then there are also instances where you have to tackle slurs and references to things there there's a lot of times where I end up feeling like I have to put a disclaimer on stuff yeah. to kind of explain that what you're about to read is is was written in X Y Z year. Yeah. Not obvious, and that's just what it is. racism and misogyny and you know all of those inbuilt things were rife, weren't they? Of course. Yeah. 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 That's so interesting. So tell me about the the War Bride couple because I'm I'm fascinated by by that whole thing. Like I I interviewed this incredible lady recently who lives in yeah. where does she live? She lives in Seattle now, but she was a war bride. They were a very like romantic couple. They met at a dance. He was working for US military intelligence, like an outpost of Bletchley. And she Ooh. was just, just telling me the whole logistics of like, you know, the whole thing of how the American war brides actually managed to get out there. It took them years and they had to campaign and they were treated as second-class citizens. And, it, and her passage alone took something like six to seven weeks to sail. And then the boat started to to kind of break apart when they got to New York and she it was just ruling you know the whole trip um and she was telling me all about it and I thought my god you just so far removed from what we think you know the, the, yeah. the dream was for these um you know the wallflower brides I think they called them in the end but yeah incredible stories so and and oftentimes they hadn't even heard from the guys they were heading to marry in two months I mean, talk about a leap of faith, you know, like packing up your whole world and then you probably wouldn't see your family again. For what? And all on the say-so of a guy you might have met once or a few times at a dance who told you he was this thing or that thing, but in reality, yeah. often ended up not being that way at all. So the, 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 Sorry, go on. Oh, the, this, this, it's just, it's, you, I, I was explaining to someone, I had to explain what a war bride was to someone today. And I, have, I end up having to do a lot of kind of explaining what random, very niche stuff. I feel like you do this as well. What very niche stuff in history yeah. is where you you just roll something off and then someone's like, hold up, wait, what? That's a war bride. I know, because the name alone is quite startling, isn't it? Yeah. And so then you're like, oh, you're not in this world. Let okay. me slow down and explain this. Um, so just to know somebody who kind of knows and is already describing a very similar story to what Harry and Sandy had, I'm like, <laughs> yeah we could talk about this for, for hours but yeah um so what what was their story then how did they how did they presumably she obviously she was British where did they do you know where they met um so I have all the original letters so we can go through and kind of get the details from the envelopes and the letters and things because I won't bastardize it by being like I don't know London <laughs> um <laughs> I'm, I'm American but I'm not that American um uh but what I do know is that he was in New Jersey and um, she, I have two sets of letters. So I have letters from the 1940s and letters from the 1950s when she goes back for a summer. Um, and she brings their two daughters back in the 1950s and she stays with her mother who she obviously hasn't seen since whatever the tail end of that 40 years that she yeah. emigrates to yeah. move in with him. But the fascinating thing that I picked up on your story that, that mirrors Sandy and Harry, a lot of her letters to him are very detail specific. So they might be like, I need that form because the boat leaves on the 7th. And if I don't have that form from you by the 7th, I won't be able to get that boat to get to the next. And then like two weeks later, it might be, well, I missed the one on the 7th. Oh, 
you just think about the logistical nightmare of all of that that, that everything had to go through like you know whereas now we just click and we're there but for them that's exactly it that's exactly it and... And bureaucratic and fraught and you think how many relationships turned on you know lived or died by these things yeah on paper. and 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 you're thinking as well, I mean, there's parts in the letters where she talks about, I mean, maybe she was in London because I think she talks about Blitz, uh, about rubble from the Blitz or rubble from a bombing. And like when you're thinking as well, it's post-war, it's immediately post-war, communications are spotty at best. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, getting a letter up and down the road is one thing, but getting back and forth from New Jersey in time to get a form. Yeah to get on a boat yeah. is very different it's a miracle they even ended up together at all really isn't it given given yeah. the hardships and the enormity of, the, of the, the difficulty of just trying to be together under that circumstance oh sandy sandy's spunky i don't th i don't think sandy, i don't think sandy would have i don't think sandy would have taken no for an answer i think <laughs> i think sandy saw you know i can't speak to true love and all those sort of things but i think sandy saw a good life. what that was yeah is it, it was it was it was a completely different life and it was after years of what it, she had endured yeah and i think she just you know you can she's she's she was a great or a great series to start with yeah she was very yeah. much like sandy's very much a core flea market she was a kind of this. wasn't she but you know i think oh, yeah. that perception wasn't there particularly like for english women who've come through the rubble and the blitz and the bombing and the rationing and everything's gray and streets are pockmarked with bombs and and then suddenly they've had these glamorous incredible gis that have been sweeping them you know who, who are larger than life and colorful of course they're going to want a better life for themselves it was about yeah you know, they wanted to better themselves so yeah you can see why she stuck stuck to her guns and got out there who's yeah. your favorite woman that you've come across in all of these letters who stands out to you as somebody like oh i'd love to go for a drink with you or i'd love to just sit down with you probably 40s sandy i think 40s sandy is is the one i would hang out with she's funny she talks at one point sandy's great she talks at one point about i think it's sandy i'm pretty sure it's i'm i'm sure it's sandy about kind of how like lecherous her boss is i remember she's sort of saying how like you know uh he gives her the eye and there's there's like a pool of secretaries if i remember and they all call um his her harry's pictures on the wall and they, i think they all call him like hubba hubba i was trying to i was trying to search keywords that i remembered from this for you they're they're in those early 40s letters so uh i know they're in there somewhere but she just she has a real jargon she has a real spunk and she gets up in there but there are a lot of really strong women that, that are in this that are in the archive there's a lot there's letters from the great depression wives who have kept entire homes running while husbands have gone all over the midwest of the u.s to work to send money home two three dollars at a time during the great depression there are mothers whose sons have gone off to world war ii because the archive isn't just spouses and girlfriends and boyfriends it is love letters generally so there's family letters there's friend letters um but yeah i would say kind of you know if i had to hang out with someone it would probably be sandy but she might just talk my ear off about how she can't get Harry to send her the right forms. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she might. But I don't know. I like anyone that says hubba bubba about a guy and sets her yeah. and goes for it. It's got to be all right in my book. <laughs> so, when you, so you never know when you pick up a letter what it's going to be. like, And you can't, and they're very difficult to tell straight away, isn't it? Whether it is a love letter or whether it's a friendship or a family or what sort of correspondence it is. What you say the majority of them are love letters. Is that the case then? That, that it is mostly husbands, wives, sweethearts? 
that sort of thing? Recently, yes. So what I mean by recently is all of the letters are, when, when I acquire letters, they're usually loose. And then I will initially kind of, if I get, let's say, a Ziploc bag full of letters, um, I will put them in just immediately into binder sleeves. Um, I don't really put them into chronological order or read them or photograph or do anything. I just put them away and I catalog them. I have a system kind of, you know, the binder goes into a spreadsheet and there it is. And I, I know it's okay, 1928 to 1932, kind of that's how it is. So when it, when it comes up to time to be in, to pick a new series, I'll look at the spreadsheet or I'll look at the binders and I'll kind of feel drawn to one to pull out. Okay. And then that's when I start to really read what the letters are. So then I might take them out and they might be all over the place, jumbled. Um, then I put them into chronological order. Then I photograph them each individually. Then I put them back into chronological order in the binders and then I start transcribing. So after I transcribe, I put on the website and then I post on social. So you, you've done about 300 of these, but you must have many more still to go then, presumably. Yeah, last count, um, it was about 1600 yet to go, I think, oh, last count. Wow, that's a lot of work ahead. Um, and a lot of, lot of years of letters, don't worry. Lot of years of letters. <laughs> and this might be a question that you might need to answer on email, but I, one of the things I love about looking into the archives of the past is some of those words or phrases that you just simply don't hear anymore in everyday language. And I wonder if there are any that you are stuck in your mind that you think, oh, we need to resurrect that phrase or that word and bring that back. Because there is so much, and that's what's great about these letters is that it really reveals the richness and the vibrancy yeah. of all those beautiful phrases. Anything oh. sticks in your mind? Or do you, do you need to have a think about that and email me some? I'll have, I'll have a think, I'll look tonight. What I do, um, I don't know if you've seen on the Instagram, but what I do is I pull quotes. So mm -hmm. I'll have a look through some of the pull quotes. Um, I'm a lot of those as well, actually. Yeah, and just seeing. What's oh, don't don't worry about it. You'll 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 pass you'll pass a lot of pictures and letters to get to quotes. So I'll well, do what you like. But I'll I'll have a look, and if there's any that come to mind. But yeah, there's um that's kind of the easiest way for for outstanding quotes. As I'm going, I tend to pull them out. So I'll have I'll 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 see if there are any dazzlers in there for you. Fabulous, folks. And lastly, and I will let you go because I know your mom's waiting, and um, any moment now someone's going to come crash through the door. Who, when you've been posting these things on Instagram and, and Facebook and so forth, who are the, which the, the eras, I suppose, that people gravitate towards mostly? Is it the conflict in the World War One and World War Two, mm -hmm. Or what, what do people tend to, you get a feel for who, who people connect to or what era people connect to? What would you say? World War Two. Yeah. Why is that, do you suppose? I mean, it's, it's just, I mean, there are so many reasons, I guess, isn't there? It's, you know, but. I think I feel like from our perspective here in England, it's a lot of it is to do with I think that there's this perception it was our finest hour and a lot of the propaganda still prevails today. Mm -hmm. um, uh, but I would say that's very that's very similar to US as well. I mean, you had Hollywood, you had um, kind of I I think that younger generations being anyone that kind of isn't a first generation to a child of World War One or to an to to someone who was active in World War One, let's say so baby boom and beyond. Yeah. Um, I think if you are even one generation removed from it, there's this inborn patriotism that you are just that is like the thing that you know about. Mm -hmm. um, even if you don't really know history, you know World War II happened. Yeah. And I think there's 
there it's it's the nearest it's the safest place that I think a lot of films will go for historical fiction so a lot of films will kind of go into that world so like starting where we end ending where we started off the notebook the notebook is world war ii written all over it and so I feel like people see that and then they just they have this kind of very romantic idea of patriotism and masculinity and the woman at home and the woman's contribution to the war front in the U.S. we had a very different relationship with the war than would have happened in the U.K. because you guys were being bombed and we weren't but we were rationing and sacrificing to send over to soldiers so like there's 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 so many differences but at the same time it's the scarcity and the the sort of the knitting together of all that Mm -hmm. so I would say I mean, I'm spoiled for kind of saying, oh, I love the ones from the 1920s and the 30s, but uh, I'm, I love all of them. I have all of them. I'll keep them for, for yeah. as long as as long as I'm in charge of them. But people love World War II. <laughs> yeah, they do. They do. It's so true. You know, I wrote a book set in the 1930s and it just bombed, you know, like it just no, nobody was interested. For me, it was fascinating yeah. because it was all of the set during the time when when there's the rise of the far right and fascism and you know, people were marching in, in the streets, the black shirts, yeah. and, and you could see that, you know, nobody knew that war was on the horizon, but, but there was this great rise of the far right and fascism. So I thought that's really, really interesting. And I'm really interested. Lots of other people would be really interested in it, but no, not so. And, and it, unless it doesn't have explicit signposting on the front, like with the Spitfire and war yeah. somewhere written on it, it just doesn't seem to, to engage. Does it spark? So it shows us something really deeply ingrained within us that relates to that story, the story of World War II and our relationship to it and, and yeah. how, what we tell ourselves about it. And I guess because everybody, and it would be the same in America, everybody has a war story of some sort or a, mm. a narrative that they're in their head, like, you know, my grandfather did this or grandmother did that, or this was when we were great. And yeah, I mean, it's... I think there's also sort of like, if you want to get a little bit psychological about it, I think that there's like just a fixation with youth related to World War II. I think there's a lot of it's, you know, the young plucky heroine who goes and leaves home and she's a duchess and then she like, she becomes a nurse in France. And it's like, it's just a real like young young persons yeah and everybody was glamorous and handsome and you know the men on the pants yeah, and, and the women had and the calm mind lips and you know yeah. they had no money but they still managed to look incredible and and the, know, the the only men, the only mention to pre the only mention to prehistory is that the oh the general he fought in the last war like that's usually the, the like oldest yeah. wisest character is always a, a yeah. great war veteran and you're like okay but he was 18 in that one can we go there yeah yeah you're right world war one again and maybe it's because it's just got that distance of years but it, it, it and i suppose it was quite it, it was much more jingoistic wasn't it everybody sort of marched off to war and then there was this dreadful slaughter you mm. know whereas by the second world war our attitudes had changed towards it but yeah you're right again world war one it sort of feels to some people like a diluted war that they're not as it's too distant and they can't relate to it in some way yeah. um Oh my god, it's so fascinating! I have so many questions for you, and I, just, <laughs> and I haven't been anywhere near the space. Do you have any idea what a dream it is for someone who reads like categorically probably fifty historical fiction books a year to talk to someone who under first off does them, second off understands, third off is like, yeah, that's a valid point. I'm beaming. <laughs> Oh,
I really hope that you enjoyed that conversation. If you have any questions or comments about any of the topics raised in our conversation, or perhaps you have a story you'd like to share, then do get in touch via my website, Facebook or Instagram, details of which are all listed on the podcast. Thanks for listening.